Hello, and welcome to the Science of Sales podcast for Rural. I'm your host, Sinjin Craner. So let's get into it. Today on the show, we're very lucky to have one of New Zealand's most recognized and respected SEO content market specialist, Mike Morgan. Mike's company, High Profile Enterprises, is recognized as a recommended content marketing agency by the Content Marketing Institute based in New York, which is the first New Zealand company to ever get this uh, approval and attainment, and equally from the Chief Content Officer magazine as well. Mike's made several of the global lists of SEO experts to follow on major SEO blogs across the globe over the last few years, and we're in great company today with someone who really knows this stuff in this subject area. So Mike, it's great to have you here. Um, It's great that you've taken valuable time to talk to us and share some of your learnings. And uh, as I say, really love having you on the show. So welcome to the second episode of the show, being the Science of Sales podcast, Mike, and thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be here, Sanjan. For some of us that are uninitiated to it, it's quite a complicated field and there's a lot of changes going on. And, you know, you and I, we know each other, we've talked and we've worked together before around Google with their protocols and their rules and their algorithms. For the listeners, can you explain, if you can, in in more simpler terms, for those that don't know it, what do they need to consider? Why do we need to be across Google? What are the main things we need to be remembering and be mindful of when we're thinking about our content and our SEO? I think the, the, the key um, thing about marketing in this way and, and, uh, and SEO is, I guess, the power of Google. Google accounts for a huge amount of um, business on the web. Uh, they are really untouchable when it comes to search engines. And uh, search engines are the way the majority of people get their information, uh, source products to buy, uh, communicate with people generally. So the, the being having your business you know, appearing well on Google is a, is a huge step to, uh, to growth. And with more and more people moving uh, their offerings onto the internet, and also with more and more people searching for what people are selling, it, it, it's just critical to be in that space. Uh, SEO itself is it's a really fascinating topic uh, because for, for me anyway, and has been for a number of years, it's all about quality, it's about value, and it's about communicating your brand, I guess, to the people that care about it. And uh, that's done through both the technical side of SEO to align with what Google's requirements are and also the content side of things so you can give people what they want. Uh, the, the, as far as the technical side of SEO goes, that's a, that's a movable feast. And uh, as an example, in the last six months, Google has shifted the focus very much to mobile. And so websites that don't have a mobile strategy around appearing in, in mobile results are starting to see the uh, the negative effects of that now. Uh, obviously, if anyone who uses a, a mobile phone to source information, the last thing you want is to have to wait several seconds for a page to load. So Google's focus is very much on instant response, and they've given us quite a few tools to actually assist with that. But for the majority of businesses and developers in New Zealand, are struggling to keep up with what these requirements are. And that's really how it works with Google. Google sort of sets the rules and everyone else has to follow pretty much what their requirements are. 
Yeah, so, you know, as I say, the majority of searches are happening, obviously, using a search engine these days, and you're sort of saying there, Mike, to someone who sort of probably admittedly uh, knows enough to harm themselves, but probably not enough, that, that Google kind of ranks on relevance and a number of just, and they, and they change that um, playing field all the time so people can't gain the system. Is it, Would I be correct in saying that? That's part of it, yes. Uh, they're very focused on stopping uh, malicious behaviour or manipulative behaviour. They've shifted to a much more secure web in the last 12 to 24 months to, to stop some of the malicious stuff. And they're highly focused on their users, which are people using search, getting a great user experience. So websites that are technically poor, that take a while to load, that have lots of errors on them, or that have uh, poor quality code, will be demoted in their search results. And there are, they admit to over 200 different factors when they analyze a website and how it interacts with the web. Uh, and yeah, people, have, people try and guess what they are. Uh, but that's still, you know, there's still a lot of secrecy around the algorithm uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, if, if people knew how it worked, it would be very easy to, to, uh, to game it, as you say. But there's also, because of the user experience focus, there's a very strong focus on uh, finding unique content that has authority, and that means that the people who are creating the content have a reputation uh, out, even outside of the web as experts so what, what, what you, you know, for, for most businesses, it's building up that credibility is, is an important part. So this is part of the whole branding side of things that, that uh, aligns with SEO and that there's no point in creating a, a new website, a new brand and uh, expecting that you're going to get instant results because there is, a, there is a period of time that you have to do the hard work and, and build up your reputation, uh, attract other businesses and organizations to link to you as a reference and to to generally just be a, a good contributor um, through all means possible even you know the addition of social media linkedin and so on um twitter that all helps if, if you uh, are respected through all these different channels so it, it's it's it covers a lot of ground um seo can be thought of as just the technical side of things, but I think that's missing missing the point with it. And with a lot of people who who do, I, I suppose, who manage SEO for, for businesses, if it, I find if their focus is just purely on the technical rather than the marketing side of things, then uh, the results are, are, are not usually as good as they could be. Yeah, absolutely. And I picked up on there, Mike, as we just, just dive for a bit, is... Um, it's not only getting um, links to build authority, which obviously Google will uh, rank and roll the relevance of your site on correct. It's also obviously building your authority outside your your website by your social media platforms and, and, and channels that exist outside your website. Yes, e even down to mainstream or traditional media. If, if you are uh, talked about through, you know, the big, the, the big local channels, say the Herald or staff, um, uh, news Hub, TVNZ, those those type of mentions um, do go a long way to uh, to adding to your authority. Likewise, uh, any 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 sort of citations from educational institutes institutes or um, or from government uh, the government side of things, all all of that helps as well. For a lot of a lot of um, smaller businesses, that's not achievable. 
So you have to really take, you know, the low-hanging fruit and, and get out there and just, you know, work with your community. And, and even things like sponsorship and so on, if you do get local local news mentions for that, that's all, that's all helpful. And that's all part of the overall strategy for SEO is to have these external um, uh, benefits as well. Good. And so, Mike, this whole subject of SEO is a complicated one for, for us and listeners to navigate through, but there's a lot of people out there who claim to be SEO experts. How do you and the high-profile enterprises team keep up to date with all these changes and all the algorithms and the protocols and the rules that Google is setting? Because, you know, you mentioned you know, just previously there's sort of 200 different factors that Google are using currently. How do you keep on top of all of that? Uh, it's pretty much sheer hard work. The, there is a, a massive amount of information online uh, about the the, um, the the speed of change and the and the various changes that are going on. Not all of it is accurate. Uh, in fact, a, a great deal of it is is not accurate. So it's finding trusted sources, and the the one thing that that absolutely kills in this space is complacency. If, if you ever sit back and go, well, I know this stuff, you know, I, I, I can do A, B, and C, and, and, um, and this happens. Uh, if, if you ever slip into that, it's not going to be long before you're actually not achieving what you need to achieve. So we, we have a, uh, a commitment to self-education. We find that uh, the formal um, education side of things in, in digital marketing just don't keep up uh, with the speed of change. By the time a, uh, a curriculum's created, uh, things have moved on so, so quickly that uh, they, they're already irrelevant. So, by following following the, um, the the big technical writers, I guess, and and there are you know a handful of um, of trusted sources that anyone can check out. Um, Moz is, has a great blog. It's quite technical. Uh, so moz.com. They also have an SEO tool that they promote, uh, and that's part of their content strategy. But there are also sites like Search Engine Land, Search Engine Journal, uh, for more accessible or approachable information about social media and SEO. You can look at sites like HubSpot, uh, and there are a whole range of content marketing sites from the Content Marketing Institute to Contently. Uh, so there, there's plenty of there are plenty of trusted resources out there. And if you if you stick with the the authors that you um, you know are well respected, then uh, you'll you'll normally be able to get good information and keep up with what's happening there. Uh, that's pretty much what we do. We we assign a certain amount of time every day to go through these major sites and to um, look out for any major developments or changes, and to um, to work out how we can apply them for our clients. Uh, and likewise, we have uh, a fortnightly piece of content for our team, and and we send that out for everyone to to read and to come back with suggestions on where some of those strategies can be applied um, for for our clients as well. So, um, education is is a huge part of of um, keeping up with what's going on in this space. Good. So the message really there is. Uh, when you're trying to identify a qualified SEO expert that they are committing to ongoing learning, they're, they're looking at the trusted uh, sources and authors that they follow that serve them very, very well. And the fact that if you get complacent on this stuff, you can fall behind pretty quickly because the changes are happening so quickly. Yes. 
And 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 it's, I mean, there are there are a few things you can do to filter filter people out as well. And and everyone gets emails from you know companies from overseas that are promising you know number one position on Google or the. Uh, promising that you'll get X number of keywords for a certain price and we're going to submit your site to X number, number of article directories and so on. And, of course, none of that is true. What you what you need to look out for is people who are over-promising. If, if anyone says we will make you number one Google on Google for your targeted phrases, uh, that's impossible to promise because uh, there are so many complexities involved with, with doing that. And it depends on you know, the level of competition. It depends on uh, a, a number of technical factors. Anyone who, anyone who promises that to you because they're going to do you know ad tags here and do structured data and so on, if they're promising that, then um, they're not going to be uh, an honest person to work with anyway. Uh, so over-promising is something to look out for. Uh, also look out for people who try and bamboozle you with jargon. If, if they can't speak to you in, in your own um, in your on your own terms and, and explain in, in a really clear clear simple English what they're doing, how it's going to benefit you, uh, and what the results could be, what they're looking at, and if they can't give examples or case studies of, of projects they've worked on, then I'd, I'd be pretty pretty careful of working with them. Uh, what you're looking for is someone who's got a, 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 a broad understanding of how the business will fit into its market and how, the, how they can actually use some of these tools and techniques to improve those results. So uh, that's, that will cut out a lot of the, um, the cowboys just, just from those simple, simple things. Yeah, good, good, good points there, Mike, in terms of uh, people that are making false or over-promising claims and the jargon and being able to boil it down into simple terms we can all understand that relate to our business and backing it up with case studies and testimonials, right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the bugbears I get from clients and and, and be a good question to ask you, Mike, is um, uh, kind of delineating the difference between paid and organic SEO, that whole subject of organic, natural SEO and then paid SEO, which is like Google AdWords. So you often see there will be a hardworking site that's regularly publishing content, building themselves as an authority business in and outside their website through media and sponsorships that you just just alluded to. And then some will say, well, we're not going to produce the same content, so we'll just try and buy our spot on Google by buying Google AdWords. What's your whole What's your whole view on Google AdWords? What's your advice? What's your opinion on Google AdWords? Because I suppose for some it can work really well, and for some others it, it might not. But what's your view? Okay, again, it's different uh, different strokes for different folks. I think in this in this case, if you're in a in a highly competitive industry, and you're relative a relatively new player in that industry, or a small player where there are a lot of established large brands, the opportunities within SEO may be a long term proposition. So while while that is happening, I, I I never of course advise people just forget about SEO and, and go for paid search. But uh, uh, while you're building up that organic side of things, it can be really useful to just cherry pick the right phrases and to pay for those spots. And that's that's pretty much with the difference between organic and uh, and paid is the organic side is earned by hard work and by being an authoritative brand. So that those those results are 
tend to be trusted more than the paid search results because anyone can buy buy an ad. Uh, so organic um, search results tend to have a, a higher conversion rate and a higher click-through rate, meaning that people will more likely have an organic result if they see it and they're more likely to be further down the buying path or to be a higher quality lead once they get to that stage. Someone someone who's... who's um, you having AdWords results that they're less likely to be as um, focused on that action that you want them to take. So with with AdWords, if, if my recommendations with that is to look at it in a really strategic way. There's no point really from, that I can see in, in paying money. You know, let's say you're paying five dollars for a click, and you've you've set a budget of you know a couple of hundred dollars a day. If you're sending all those people to your homepage and your homepage doesn't have a clear call to action on it, then you're pretty much wasting that money. You may as well just set fire to it. So with with AdWords, it's ideal to have a, a focused landing page for what the person is looking for. So when they arrive at that landing page, they're going, yes, I'm in the right place. This is exactly what I wanted because I, I clicked on that ad and here's what I need to do next. Uh, organic is... is is a broader thing because when you bring people to a homepage of a website, obviously they have to the homepage has to be strategic as well and, and funneling people to what you want them to do. But you've got there's a lot more time to actually build that relationship with the person through the content. They may have they may have come to your site from a number of different ways. It may have been a blog post or it may have been uh, a particular service. Or, or, or some other reason for them to arrive. So you've got to think of all those different paths for people uh, with organic. So it's, it's, it's more complex. Uh, there's a lot more trust around it. Uh, but AdWords definitely has its place to, I think, to fill that gap partly, but also for very strategic use for particular um, campaigns. It, mm. It's the difference between advertising and inbound, basically. Yeah, yeah, more said than Mike. And so what you're saying is if you're, if you're starting on that content journey, that perhaps Google AdWords has got a tactical role to play for you while you build up that organic directory of um, of content, that sort of bank of content, or, or if you're you know being very strategic on particular keywords. But you, you know, a lot of people say to me, you know, and you can Google this, you know, what's the click through rate of a paid sponsored ad versus a natural? And I think you've answered that question for us already. It's obviously much higher because naturally people are going to trust an organic link because it's more natural um it's trusted you do you actually know where it's from as well which is a big big driver of the trust um and the fact that that sites work very very hard using google's algorithms to get to that position am i right or wrong no that's 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 correct you're right there good so um what do you what do you see as the common mistakes mike that people make um with their content marketing or their seo what are the what are the classics that we all need to watch out for i mean we've talked about Complacency, and we've talked about paid versus organic search. But what are the what are what are the common ones that you guys come across? Okay, there's um, there's a few of them. Oh, yeah. um, the, the first one, I guess, with SEO is to think of it as a magic trick box, or you know, it used to be referred to as the dark arts. Uh, I, I have to correct a lot of people who who uh, who begin with that understanding. It. it, it a few years ago, sure, you know there there were ways to shortcut the system. Now it's very very much focused on technical performance and technical compliance. 
uh, and it's focused completely on quality and value. Uh, any anyone who, who approaches it with a we'll add some meta tags here and we'll put a whole lot of keywords on a page uh, is not going to do very well. In fact, they could do a lot of damage to your to your business and to your brand. So the first one that's the first one. It's not a magic trick box. It's hard work and it's it takes a lot of expertise to actually to work through the different processes you need to. The second one is publishing content that's the same as everyone else's, and uh, we see it. We see a lot of businesses who have been publishing, publishing, publishing. They've got a writer who creates 300-word posts for them, and they're all relatively aligned to what they do, but it's boring. You know, there's, there's nothing of value that's been added there. It's been done a, a million times before by companies and, and, and a lot better. So if, they, if, if you get into a, a situation where you're publishing a whole lot of content thinking that you're going to succeed by doing that, um, I, I would advise against that. Content now has to be, it has to be completely unique. It has to have authority. It has to have a, a, a viewpoint that's of interest to the market. It has to be structured really well so that when you get those user experience uh, results like, your opening paragraph has to be really strong and really compelling so people will read on. You you should have uh, subheadings through your content that are going to create a narrative that people can skim through so that they can find the information they need really quickly within that post without having to read the whole thing. They It, it needs to uh, offer uh, some expertise, some viewpoint and some authority that is better than the other stuff that's out there. And that, that's quite an interesting technique as well, is to is to look at what your what your niche is, and to to go to search results and have a look and see who's succeeded in this space. And you look at you look at the successful pieces. You go, how do I do that but better? You know, how do I make that more comprehensive, more definitive? And uh, and and that's quite an interesting process to go through. Because you, you, you're pretty much, as long as you've got an authoritative website, it's called the skyscraper technique. Mm, no, I heard that term, skyscraper, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's a really interesting way to approach it. And it keeps, it keeps you honest about the quality of what you're producing as well. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of tools as well that we use that we're able to analyse the content out there very quickly for, for particular phrases. And that informs what we'll target for clients. Uh, because we'll see straight away whether it's there's no chance of ever ranking for that because it's dominated by Wikipedia and government and educational. Uh, and we, we, we see where the opportunities are. But um, it, as I say, the, the, the key thing is make sure you're not just publishing content the same as everyone else's because that's completely pointless. You might as well just stop investing money in that. Yeah, so you see a lot of people start with the greatest intent, enthusiasm, and there's that whole conversation around intensity intensity versus consistency you know it's a bit like if you brush your teeth every day you can if you just went to the dentist twice a year you'd have really bad teeth but if you brush your teeth every day for two minutes morning and night that consistency is going to beat that intensity a bit like when you go to the gym you know um you work out for nine hours but uh it's not gonna make you any fitter but if you worked out for 20 minutes every day you're gonna become a lot better so so i suppose it's that compounding return as well isn't it and you know the fact you've got to be disciplined at it, keep doing your research, look at your niche, look at what your competitor's doing. But I was really intrigued by that skyscraping 
technique, which is for me, in my lamest terms, I'm going, well, I just steal it. But most importantly, you make it better and put yep. your own take on it and try to improve the, the content of that, of that content. Yes, absolutely. You find some really interesting examples where there may be a particular niche where someone's published a, a guide to a particular thing and it's, it's the such and such guide to whatever, 2017. And that's a really obvious opportunity because you know, there, there should be a 2019 version, you know. So uh, sometimes the opportunities are really simple. And right. again, you have to you have to offer unique perspectives, your own research, your own data, and you you have to make sure you can hit all those buttons and do it better than the, the people out there are doing. So that's that's kind of at the at the high end of of, of content marketing. Some of those strategies, and for for a lot of a lot of businesses, that's it takes a while to get to that stage where they're comfortable enough to do that. But if you focus always on, on uniqueness, value, and quality, uh, then you're going to get to that stage at some stage in the future. Great. So um, a very definitive answer there, Mike. A lot I think the listeners can take from that one. This is another question, if you don't mind me asking, I get asked a lot about quality versus quantity of content, but not only content, but quality versus quantity of platforms so you know should they dominate one platform like facebook or should they just focus on linkedin and how often should they be posting and how long should the post be so there's sorry there's a few questions in there but yeah. it's, it's the quality versus quantity uh debate that we all have um yeah. so what, what are your views on that uh, first of all quality versus quantity uh quality will trump it every time yeah i'd rather someone published once a month uh, and and what they were publishing was very high quality then they published every day and it was of uh, average or questionable quality uh, it, it's it's not a, it's no longer a game of um, you know getting getting to a particular point where it's there's a tipping point where you've got so much content you're going to win the game uh, because what you're creating is a whole lot of pointless content that is not bringing any value to anybody so so quality First of all, if you can if you can marry those two things and have quality and quantity, then you're in a pretty sweet zone. And uh, certainly, larger organisations who do have the internal resources and you know multiple experts within their company to be able to create lots of high quality content, they they do incredibly well in the in the um, content and search space. Uh, so, as far as platforms go. Uh, the only thing I'd, I'd suggest is don't spread yourself too thin. Uh, don't try and be everywhere at once. Uh, every one of those platforms should take a, a, a reasonable chunk of your time. If if you decide that LinkedIn is your best hunting ground because you're B2B, then uh, focus a reasonable amount of your attention to that. You can certainly put your content out on Twitter and, and so on as well. but you know, make sure it doesn't take away from your your primary focus. Uh, for other companies, Facebook offers some amazing opportunities, particularly if you're in a space like uh, tourism or any aspirational space. If if you have products that uh, wow people, then uh, Facebook has the ability to to reach a lot of people very quickly by paying them for it. And again, organic reach on Facebook is negligible. So you really do need to uh, assign 
a, a budget for every piece of content you create. And it's also worth considering working with someone who is a, a design or, um, or a graphics expert to be able to bring uh, really impressive work to your Facebook strategy. And uh, to either that or you just have amazing imagery. Like we, we have a, um, a page we run just as, as a, <laughs> just as a fun thing, which is the I Hope You Beach Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And that routinely gets uh, two to 300 likes on every image that's posted. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, we have people just sending in photographs they're taking on a beach with their cell phones and everyone loves it, you know. So certain certain things like that, people people just can't get enough of, you know, sunsets and beaches and and those types of images. So uh, we're lucky with something like that. It's, it's relatively easy to get that reach on Facebook without paying for it. But for for most businesses, uh, you really do have to um, have to bite the bullet and, and uh, give Facebook a whole pile of money. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting. You hear all these uh, influencers on Facebook and Twitter, and Gary Vanderchuk or whatever his name is, sorry, Gary V, and he talks about how Facebook's just getting more and more expensive, and Insta and the Gram, and you know, you got to get on there now before the algorithms make the uh, cost per clicks and click throughs more expensive. And you know, I'm finding a lot of people are just particularly a lot of companies that I deal with are almost infatuated with Facebook. And I say to them, look, you're, you've got a pongo stick there. You need at least a three-legged stool. You know, they're just focusing all their effort on Facebook. What's your views on that? Yeah, I, I agree. And for most, for most businesses, um, Facebook on its own is, is, is not very effective. And there's nothing more um, soul-destroying than, you know, putting all this effort into creating content and and boosting to a particular audience that you've thought really hard about, you know, where is my market and what countries am I targeting and what demographics and what are their interests and jobs and, you know, all of those things. You go through that strategically, you put it together and then you, you know, you drop $50 on it and you know, that post goes out and you wait to see what happens and uh, Facebook says, you know, X number of people have seen this and you've had all these engagements. You go, well, actually 10 people liking it for that probably wasn't that good. And it certainly didn't lead to any business. So I, I think there's there's only a very small number of businesses that can use Facebook as their their primary focus. I think you need to to balance Facebook with definitely with SEO and with content. And um, in, in most cases, they, when we look at analytics results, seventy percent, sixty percent, seventy percent of uh, visitors to a website will come from uh, Google Organic Search, and there may be, you know, fifteen percent coming from uh, Facebook if you're pretty active with it. So that sort of gives a little bit of an idea of what the numbers are like. If you're B two B, those numbers are skewed even further, and you know, we we do work with B two B businesses who are up in the eighty percent for organic search. Uh, so and and social media is, is relatively small. So those are, those, Mike, those are some pretty uh, significant numbers there. You know, obviously it shows again how important it's important to get your SEO right because you're saying sort of, you know, upwards of 80% of your search is coming organically by Google versus yeah. 15 or less by Facebook. But, you know, it's that sort of uh, imbalance or disproportionate nature of investment of, you know, on Facebook ads, which make um, Mark Zuckerberg very, uh, very rich. But, yeah, pretty soul-destroying for you as a sponsor when you go, I've set up my ad, I think my content's great, and then only three people have liked me. And those three people are probably my mum and my neighbour and, <laughs> and someone I've paid who's in my employment. I mean, it's what we call vanity metrics, right? 
Yes. So do you, you know, what's your view on vanity metrics? Because I, I see a lot of it. I talk to a lot of clients about it and watch out for it. But, you know, they, they get uh, seduced by the latest SEO or content marketer and they say, yeah, no, we can, we can run your Facebook page, business page for you. And all I keep an eye on them. And all they've got is um, likes from their employees, which isn't moving the needle for their business. And it's probably cost them, I don't know, 15, 15, 1800 a month, you know, based on the number of posts on their content plan. I mean, yeah, views yeah. on that? that vanity yeah. metrics, do you see that as well? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, think, I think it's having balance across these different platforms and understanding where your market is. Uh, sometimes, as you say, people get seduced into um, – being in one place and spending a certain amount on it. And certainly there are some relatively low-cost ways to manage social media and, and it really comes down to time. Uh, I, I think that, yeah, sometimes with, with some of the measurement um, tools as well, you know, you go through some of the fairly expensive, um, you know, analysis that, that, or analytics that come through from social media platform uh, management tools, and and you you're looking at it, and you're going, okay, well we've we've got all of these people who are talking about um, a topic that we're interested in, and you know we we can find the time to go through and actually speak to each one of them, you know, via Twitter or whatever, and you can spend a, a lot of time and a lot of money in managing those things. Uh, whereas you've you've still got to look at the ROI on it, and if you're not getting those valuable visitors from those platforms having all of that ability to get access to all that data is, is quite pointless and it is just taking away from what you should be focused on uh, I, I i do think that there's a, there's a lot to be said for having a credible social media presence and i'm, I'm, I'm a big champion of that uh, but there are there are certain things that you shouldn't really put so much weight on um for it and uh and particularly, particularly when you're looking at platforms like um, like Twitter, where it's great for sharing content and for visibility, it doesn't drive a huge number of visitors to websites, uh, and it tends to be dominated by you know celebrities and politicians and so on. Mm. Uh, so, what what platforms like that have the advantage of is just speed, I guess, speed of information. You know, when you are actually releasing content, it's, it gets it to people really quickly. Yeah. But you're also competing with a lot of noise out there as well. Do you think, uh, I mean, you've taught me this, Mike, as well, and in, in helping me a wee bit, um, is we often forget about the older uh, traditional content uh, channels like email and blogs. Do you want to quickly yeah. talk about that? Because sure. you know, we, we fall in love with the new shiny stuff. <laughs> and actually the email we still use 70% of the time as our primary business communication channel. And yes. Uh, 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 yeah, email uh, is still hugely important for communicating with people who want to hear from you. And I think that's become more focused with um, GDPR and the new compliance regulations in Europe. Uh, people are having to look now at whether they have permission to communicate with people. And I think that's a really strong step in the right direction. There's, there's too much of um, you know, people being added to MailChimp lists without actually being asked if they want this information. So, so it's good to see that some, some of this has, has pulled it back, which will mean that the people who are doing the right thing and communicating with people who have actually asked for information will become more visible. Uh, so that's that that's helpful, and I, and, and I still think you know newsletters and so on are a really good way of communicating 
not only what you're working on, the content you're doing, but also just information on what you do. And um, it, it, there was a really interesting one recently that you commented on, and uh, the, um, the the client had sent out a newsletter that just broke down what it is they actually did in a really easy to digest format. And and what what that reminded me about was that there are a lot of people out there. You know, if, if you if you offer a range of services, there's a lot of people out there that may only know you for one thing. And once you can communicate with them and the people who will open your emails, then you can say, hey, look, we also do all these other things as well. So, so yeah, so newsletters are, are definitely a big part of it. Blogs, um, I don't see them as being um, older ways of communicating at all. I think that they're, they're just an, an important part of content marketing full stop, and I can't see that changing. The problem with blogs is people have uh, sometimes have an incorrect understanding of what blogs are, and they're not 250 word announcements. Uh, they're not just news about you know the business. They they are offering solutions. They're offering um, definitive information. They're offering uh, case studies, and uh, they're, they're, they're giving value in a way that a lot of people aren't using blogs for. And um, you know, when you say to someone that you know the, that your average blog length should be you know, between one thousand and two thousand words, that, that kind of freaks people out a little bit. <laughs> like, no, people are not going to read that, and and, that, and I, you know, I hear that reasonably often. Depends but, on your content. Yeah, yeah. The, it depends what they're looking for, and if you've actually tapped into their need. That that's right. And if you structure it correctly, people don't have to read the entire two and a half thousand words because they're looking. What you're, what you're offering is a series of solutions uh, in, a, in a comprehensive way so it'll rank well in search. And so people will go to it, as I said before, the structure's important. They'll scan through those headings and they'll go, this is the answer I'm looking for. They may link to it or they may bookmark it and they'll go back to it later to, to, to go through some of the rest of it as well. So it becomes a live organic piece of content that people are constantly returning to. And that, that's, that's really where you want to head with it. So you talked about the ideal length of a blog there and, and you're saying that people will freak out around 1,000 to 2,000 words. But I suppose the beauty of that, as you say, is if someone is motivated and we often talk about content and we don't have enough time, we could talk about this all day, but there's you've packed a hell of a lot in already for the listeners is, you know, sometimes you, you, you've got to really understand who your niche is, the conversation they're having with themselves in their own head and maybe having that conversation, same conversation but better. So they recognise it when they see it and they read it and you can engage and cut through and connect with that with that prospect or that customer online. And the the blog link, because you know I love my blogs and a few people know me know I love my blogs too and I love my LinkedIn as well. It seems to work well for me. But you know, you 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 coach me on, you know, ideal blog link. And I think the gift you gave me, which you're giving to the listeners as well, is talk to us about what Google does every time you add a blog page to your website. Yes, yeah, so well, again, if it's uh, unique, high-quality content, it's on a respected site, Google's robot crawls through every one of these websites and uh, looks for new content. If it goes through and it has all of these signals and they're all checked off, it's technically sound, uh, it has great content, it's structured well, it's offering insights that aren't already easily available from more authoritative sources, uh, then it's going to be indexed fairly quickly and it's going to start to show up in the right places and you're just going to start to generate uh, visitors from it. And, and I, I always find it's quite interesting to look at examples of that. 
you know, when, when you have a consistent publishing strategy, and let's say one piece of content is, is on a, a, a very specific topic, and it's something that there are 100 people a month looking for in New Zealand, and so you, you, you won't get all of those people, but you will get a reasonable percentage of them, even if you've got, say, 50 people who visited that post. And that, was, that happens every month because the post you've created is going to be relatively evergreen or timeless, and so it's going to still be relevant next year. And if you do, if you were to do that every week, or, um, or or you know twice a month, or whatever, then each one of those pieces of content that you put all that work into will become a hook out there for you, and it's going to bring another fifty or a hundred people. And what what I find is really interesting is when you tap into a, an unexpected source, and uh, and sometimes these are things where uh, suddenly a topic is popular. And uh, there's a, an example with one of our clients where. Um, Sean Callahan wrote about the Amazon six-page um, uh, meeting narrative. Yeah, there's a huge demand by people, particularly in the states, to understand how to better manage their business meetings, and they're using that as a template. And because he gave a really good explanation of how that all worked and and how it fed into what he does with business storytelling, it ranked really well on search and it started to generate thousands of monthly visits from from the states from people who are really interested in it. And as far as brand exposure, you know, for a company like his, where they do have um, you know uh, representatives in the United States, you know, that, that's pretty massive. Uh, you know, anecdote suddenly a, a company that people are talking about as offering that great information. Yeah, so he kind of was shown an anecdote who we who we know he's 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 sort of tapped a vein that is very topical. And because his content's so good and it's yeah. of high quality, it's a timeless hook because it's it's he's spent the time to do it and it's sitting there and it's often going to be referenced and it's often going to be coming back to because he's he's hit that vein, hasn't he? Yes, and, and likewise with uh, Darren Woolley from Trinity P3. He's, he's a, a, a prolific content creator yeah. and he has been for a number of years. We've worked with him since 2011. And... He will hit these topics, and there was one about um, top-down versus bottom-up budgeting, and that was just phenomenal for probably 12 months before it eased off, where it was gen just generating a, a, a large amount of traffic to, to the website from people who were taking the time to read a pretty comprehensive post because the average time on page to read that post was about seven minutes. So um, that meant that it was a pretty successful post for keeping people's interest. It was relevant. Seven, seven minutes. I think we all have uh, less attention span than the goldfish these days. Yeah, that's right. Seven that's minutes right. is getting that's up right. there. So well done to Darren and, and the Trinity P3 guys and yourselves. Uh, we've talked around um, vanity metrics. We've talked about how we shouldn't discount newsletters and blogs. Um, if you had one piece of advice um, for listeners in terms of it comes to content marketing SEO, you might have already covered it, but I think it's there's there's a lot in here if people listen and tune in. What would you what do you what do you sum up as your best piece of advice if someone was really struggling with their content marketing, you know, they're not getting good engagement, they're investing quite, you know, relatively a bit of money in it and they're just not getting the likes, not getting the engagement, they're not getting the uh, connection or cut through. What would you say to them? What would be your advice for them? Sure. With SEO, I would definitely say to invest in expertise. Make sure the people you're working with really know what they're doing because it, it can be a high-risk area. It's a couple of the things I mentioned earlier on will help you sort of filter the people out. Uh, if you can get a personal recommendation from someone who's worked with someone who's good, 
then definitely uh, go go with that because they'll they'll have already had experience with them. With content, apart from the things I've already mentioned, there's one other thing that, that is really important, and that's to understand that when when you're talking within the content to your post, you're talk, talking to one person. There's only one person out there on the other side of the screen. There might be a hundred of them, but each one of them is reading your words as if they're the only person in the world. And so when, you, when you're talking, you don't talk about us or we or we do this or, you know, we, we've done this. It's all about what you're doing for them. You're, you're offering them solutions and you're talking to them in, in that way. So, and so use the words you and your as much as possible and don't use the words we or, <laughs> or any of those ones um, unless they are absolutely necessary. Uh, simplify the language. Don't use any jargon. Keep it, keep it as uh, as concise, as clear, and as friendly as possible. And and I always, well, Midge always says this is a, one of hers. Is imagine you're sitting across the table, you're having a glass of wine with someone you know pretty well, and you're explaining something to them. That's the sort of tone that, that works. It's it's professional, but it's simple and friendly as well. And I think I think if you if you follow those, your content is going to resonate with a lot more people. Oh, fantastic, Mike. So look, um, that's. Uh if people uh, listen to this and, and store it or they're listening to their car or they're mowing the lawns or whatever they're doing, there's a, there's some real gems in there that you provide us and we're very, very grateful for that. So, I mean, the three things that I'm picking up are, uh, you know, it's quality and quantity is really the sweet spot. You've given us a real gift there in terms of skyscraping, in terms of finding authority sites and authors that are on a subject. You gave us that lovely example of if there was a guide on such and such of 2018, then... There should be a guide for 2019, and maybe you could, you know, steal and make it better. But obviously, you, you know, you've got you, the, the key there is you've got to make it better. And the other fact is that, you know, um, Facebook, while it works for some companies, uh, the game's getting tougher. It's getting more complicated. The algorithms um, getting cut through with organic Facebook is really getting more expensive and harder these days. I think it's only about seven percent of your followers will get an organic post compared to a paid or boosted um, post. And that, you know, we shouldn't really ever discount or underestimate blogs and email and newsletters. And I think the thing that came through loud and clear from you on the call is about the, the quality and the value uh, and the communication and the tone in which you're talking of your content. And, and that was a real gift at the end there around. And I've noticed this. I read a lot of business books, as you know, and do business breakdowns. And when you read a page, you see how many times the word you and your is mentioned it's it's phenomenal, and and you're absolutely right. You image around having the conversation with that individual, one on one, versus you know we and us and the whole chess beat. It's a you've got to serve that individual and talk to them like you are with them in the room. So, Mike, um, you've given us you've been very generous with your uh, your knowledge and your insights there. Um, if people want to find out more about you, how do they get hold of you? How do they track you down? Uh, should be pretty easy to find high-profile enterprises online. <laughs> if, if you can't find us, we're not doing our job properly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, highprofileenterprises.com is the website. And uh, you can find out a little bit more about some of our different approaches there. And uh, um, Otherwise, you can find me as Mike Morgan on LinkedIn. So uh, that I should be relatively easy to find there as well or you can you know, use some keywords around like more women business or seo and i should pop up there so uh connect with me on linkedin absolutely uh be, be great to uh, to to see a few few new people 
and uh, and uh, feel free to come through the site and and drop us a line through the contact form there as well. Hey, um, thanks, Mike. Great to have you on the show. Being our second victim, uh, Suzanne Macefield was our first, who you'll see often on uh, TV3 and TV1 talking about body language and nonverbal communication, which was show one and show two. I mean, it's such a big subject to break down. So it's probably I've been pretty unfair. I've I've, I've barreled a lot of questions that you've answered them particularly well and very comprehensively in the time we've given. So um, thanks again, Mike. Very, very kind of you to share your knowledge and, and I'm sure the guys can get hold of you through uh, through the links that you sent. Thanks, Sanjana. Really appreciate the opportunity and it's always great to catch up with you. Grand. Same too, mate. Hey, um, so team, that wraps up our second show on the Science of Selling podcast for Rural. I hope you enjoyed it and you learned something about SEO. It's a big subject. It's a really chunky subject and, and so is content marketing. There are a lot of things there. I'll put a... Um, transcripts of the podcast uh, when we uh, put it up on, on live. In the next few shows, we're going to step outside rural and we're going to talk to some real sales leaders in other sectors to find out what they can teach for us and what we can learn from them. So it'd be really good to sort of look outside in our industry because we can learn a lot from others. So um, remember to subscribe to the uh, podcast on uh, SoundCloud and uh, I'll be putting this up on our various platforms. But um, it's bye for now from me and we'll talk to you in the next show.